Hello and welcome to the Hype Collective podcast. I'm Joshua Kappa, Youth Marketing Assistant here at Hype Collective and University Student. And I'm Paul Stollery, Creative Director at Hype Collective. So if you haven't heard of us, we're a student marketing agency and we work primarily across experiential marketing, content production and research. Now, uh, towards the end of last year, we were speaking to a load of students uh, about how we could help them uh, take their first steps in their careers. And pretty much all of them said the same thing. They said, we want to find a mentor. And we thought working in the industry, that'd be something that we could probably help them out with. We started Hype Mentoring at the top of 2018, a scheme that connects young people to the creative industries. And in our first Hype Collective podcast series, we'll be chatting to some of our amazing mentors about how they got to where they are now and what advice they'll have for students and young people beginning their careers. Also, though, like often the more, the most confident people that I've worked with have been the most mediocre, and that's <laughs> you know yeah, what yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the truth. Say and that one again. <laughs> <laughs> repeat. I repeat. <laughs> the most confident people I've worked with have been the most mediocre. But it's what? you know it's 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 uh, I guess what I mean by that. I don't think Hey, I'm Joshua Kappa. And I'm Paul Stollery. And this is Hype Collective's Meet the Mentors. This week, we're speaking to Wilder Group, Head of Insight at the Elephant Room, to find out why research is more than just stuff you can do Hope you enjoy. And on the podcast today, we've got Will. Uh, Will, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, so uh, my name is Will DeGroot. I am the co-founder and head of Insight at The Elephant Room. Um, and I also run a platform called Mend, which is about exploring what it feels like to be a man in the 21st century. Awesome. So why don't you tell us a little more about both of those roles? Um, kind of what, uh, I guess firstly, what it actually means, like what, what the day-to-day role is. Um, and I guess also how you kind of got into those roles. Yeah, for sure. So um, I guess starting with the elephant rooms, the elephant room is my sort of nine to five. Um, It's the thing that that pays the bills and we are a creative startup. So we've been going for about two years. Um, So yeah, very much a kind of baby in terms of the industry. Um, But I suppose we kind of set up because we wanted to do things a bit more kind of differently um, and try and challenge the status quo when it comes to the kinds of agencies that are out there at the moment um, and kind of taking into account the sort of uh, the diverse talent that we know is out there but isn't necessarily um, finding the pathways into the industry. So kind of at the moment there's a lot of conversation in the industry about diversity and inclusion but beyond the sort of chat, like what does that mean in terms of agency structures, agency models, teams, processes, inputs and outputs. So that's very much kind of what we're trying to do. Um, And then for my part as head of Insight, um, my background is in research. So audience research, cultural trends, um, understanding people's motivations, behaviours, attitudes, etc. Um, why people do the things that they do. Um, so researching on behalf of brands to try and kind of, I guess, get closer to the to the audience in that way. Um, but traditionally, research agencies kind of exist um, in silo. So they're a little bit kind of isolated and they sort of do their own thing. Um, and I think I'm someone who's always been quite creatively minded. Mm-hmm. And for me, there was a sort of, opportunity to create something whereby we bridge the gap between insight research and then 
creative. Um, they kind of traditionally exist by themselves. So I guess at the Elephant Room, what I'm trying to do and what we're, we're starting to really demonstrate that we're doing is kind of having the capability to deliver kind of research for global clients, but also deliver creative campaigns on top of that as well. Awesome. So one of the main things that I'm, I'm always fascinated with is, um, you know, still to this day as, as a marketing professional, but also when I was in university, I, I always remember that um, so I studied marketing in university and I came out and I thought I knew what the industry looked like, or I thought I knew a little bit about what the industry looked like, but in, in reality, I had, I had no idea. Um, I always remember there was, so my, my first couple of years I spent working in digital marketing. And despite, uh, despite studying marketing, I remember there was one lecture where I covered anything, any relevance to my actual degree. Um, so I, I guess what I'd love to know is, I guess, what, what does your actual day-to-day look like? So you say that you help brands better understand audiences. So, you know, what sort of brands are they? How, how do the brands come to you? How do you get briefed? Like, and then it's how do you go about actually answering those questions? Doing it. Yeah, it's super interesting, isn't it? Because I think that's the thing that I've learned in my career so far. And the thing that always kind of surprises me or doesn't stop surprising me is just like the availability of all these different roles that you never knew existed. Um, and kind of now sort of doing them it's like why was I never told about this before right Um, but I guess what I've so I studied English literature at uni like I had no kind of um, I had no uh, sort of desire at that time to go into marketing or advertising I didn't think that's what I was going to do I thought I was going to become a journalist my mum thought I was going to become a lawyer um, neither um, of those things. <laughs> neither of those things happened. Sorry, mum. Um, um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I made the right choice to be honest. But um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I guess just in terms of the day to day of my role as a researcher, um, often brands need to commission research to validate what they think they know about their audience, and often that validation. Uh, serves as a springboard for some kind of creative work. So we need to create a campaign that appeals to 24 to 35 year olds uh, in the UK um, on behalf of, let's say, I don't know, Converse. Mm -hmm. Um, So what does a 24 year old think about Converse, the brand? Um, And so that's when brands will kind of extend a handout to research agencies and be like, what can you do for us to tell us kind of from a brand point of view, what that demographic thinks of us as a brand but also potentially some ideas that we might have around how we activate a campaign or create a piece of work and and do they come to you do they come to you with like a list of questions is it or is it like you know we need to know how to sell trainers to this demographic or is it we know roughly what we're doing but there are these x questions that we want to know answers to or is it a mix of both yeah it can be a mix of all of those things quite often um clients will come to you with a very specific idea of what they think Mm. they want to get out of it um other times they're very open for you to shape what that looks like um and often with research what it comes down to is that you design a methodology for your client so you look at their brief and you look at their problem and you look at the kind of people they want to talk to and you think about what's the best way to go out and reach those people what's the best way that we can capture that insight and and present that back to the client and often as well it's like what's the best output for that client so it is the purpose of doing this research to then hand it over to a creative agency so that they can go off and create a campaign or is it actually just for internal purposes? So does the client just need to educate team members on what the audience mm-hmm. kind of think and feel? So it depends on the output, but there's lots of different ways that you can kind of design the approach. Mm-hmm. Awesome. 
See, now when you talk about research, I know like a lot of students in my university, especially when I tell them that, oh, um, there's this role going or this role going, because sometimes I help people and if they want to find internships or whatever, and they're like, oh, it seems boring. It seems like something I wouldn't be interested in. Research is one of those ones where people think, oh, wow, yeah, definitely wouldn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. However, what would you say to that? What would, how exciting would you say your role is? And what is sort of the stuff that you wouldn't necessarily think a researcher would do that you actually do? Yeah, so this is my whole thing, yeah, is that I feel like research just has a bit of a bad bad rep. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, research isn't seen as a kind of cool or desirable, um, I guess, like, career from the point of view of, like, when you think market research, you think people with clipboards. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, standing on the street being like, excuse me, sir, can I ask you about X, Y, Z? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> If somebody, when I was at school, if somebody had said to me, a company will pay you to fly business class to Ethiopia to spend a week with 18-year-olds in Addis talking about their relationship with beer, I'd have been like, what are you talking about? (laughs) But that's what happened. Do you know what I mean? I worked at a research agency where, I mean, the appeal of that place was the international fieldwork. Mm. Um, which I had no idea was a thing and then I started doing my research into research (laughs) and realised that there were these roles available where brands will literally fly you out to deliver insight um, in places all around the world Um, why would you not want to do that you know if you're naturally curious about people and culture um, it just seemed like a kind of obvious sort of route and and it was hard you know it was hard kind of finding out about those roles and even just being in those spaces wasn't the easiest thing you know there is a I, I kind of think there is a sort of um well, certainly when I was sort of at these places there's a very particular type of person who occupies these kinds of roles but that's kind of what I'm trying to do right now is sort of reimagine what a researcher can look and sound like in the 21st century and and I think brands need that as well you know brands need young people young talent from lots of different backgrounds to be working for them in a research capacity um to be able to apply that experience to the problems that they themselves are facing so yeah it's a kind of myth that research isn't this sort of exciting thing because it really really can be and, mm. and you get to there's a there's a there's a process of like going out and gathering all the research but then you take that back and you analyze it and you put your perspective on it and you put your lens on it and mm. it's very it's very analytical in that sense so it's a lot more dynamic i think than like a lot of people um kind of give it credit for but also just like I don't know, often when I've done these these projects for brands and you have like, you know, I was in Japan for Lego where I was talking to like five-year-old kids in Japan, in Tokyo, about their relationship with creativity and imagination. Okay, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> How was that? It was insane. <laughs> like, it was wild. Like, I'm half Japanese, so it was amazing to just sort of be, and have an excuse to be back in Japan through work was amazing. Mm. But you're literally, you're being invited into people's homes to talk to them and interview them about their lives and like it really is a very sort of privileged position to be in and I think again that's something that people forget a lot of the time is that like the level of access that you get to people's lives through this job through this role I can't really think of many other jobs where you could really do that you know um but yeah I mean the Japan thing was wild you're you're talking to kids about like what does creativity mean to you what does imagination what role does imagination play for you then interviewing their parents and talking about like what they want their kids to kind of learn um Mm. as they grow older and what the skills that they want to be equipped with um so yeah I mean it was amazing so do you you you've 
You said that when you're in university you were thinking about uh, becoming a, a journalist. Mm. Do you find that that or like any any sort of grounding you had in that area has that helped you in research? Because there's parallels, isn't there? Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's it's two things, isn't it? It's that kind of curiosity, that natural kind of um, curiosity about people and culture and the world. Um, but then it's also that kind of analytical side of things. So being able to look at um, lots of information and lots of kind of, um, I guess, like looking at people's experiences. A lot of the time you're looking at transcripts, for example, of interviews that you might have done and you're looking for themes and you're trying to kind of pick mm. out what's the story here? What's the narrative? Like, what's the story that we're trying to tell to the brand? And how does that then translate into the brand's own story? So, mm. yeah, there's there's loads of overlap, definitely. And we keep... Yeah, you keep saying like research and you know you talk talking to children and like people all over the world what does that what does that actually look like you know is, is that you know is that surveys is that focus groups is that how, how, how does that yeah. get structured so I guess the beauty of it and I guess the beauty of it doing it at the elephant room is that we get to reimagine all of that mm-hmm. we get to kind of reimagine our approach to research and, and what our outputs are I guess there's the more kind of traditional side of things which is like focus groups one-way mirror mm-hmm. all of that kind of business which you know like I, I used to do as well and like I do think there's there's quite an interesting discussion over whether or not that's like a valid thing anymore mm-hmm. um but then everything from kind of like depth interviews, like one-on-one with people, or you do like ethnography. So a lot of what we do actually is sort of video ethnography, where we get people to kind of complete a number of tasks over a set of days and record themselves doing it. Um, cool. So we kind of collect all of that and then analyze it. Um, but there's so many different ways. And again, I think this is what we're trying to do in terms of the work at the Elephant Room is like put a creative lens over research. So how mm. can we kind of reimagine what this looks like to make the output more exciting but Mm. also the experience you know rather than me just sitting down and interviewing someone why don't we let them kind of dictate um how that process rolls out um and also along the way just thinking the entire time how are we capturing content how are we capturing lots of like photos and imagery and like really building a picture up of who these people are and their lives so I mean one of the things we're exploring at the moment is like curated Instagram channels and like just looking at the technology that's already out there um, one thing um, one thing that I always think about kind of going back to your question earlier Josh is like like really everyone is like everyone is a researcher like we are all curating content every day of our lives because we have a smartphone in our mm, pocket yeah. like everyone is doing it and I think that's the kind of reframing of like research that we need to sort of get used to is that actually like we are all curating ideas we are all curating thinking just by the nature of like having our smartphones on us so often i think like how can we incorporate that reality into our methods um how could we use snapchat how could we use instagram um as actual kind of research tools in themselves Mm. um because they're the things that audiences are naturally already used to you Mm -hmm. know um, so again, it's like a constant process of reimagining like what it could be. One thing we've done here is like create short kind of insight-led documentary films for our clients, which have been really, really like amazing. Probably one of my favorite things I've ever worked mm-hmm. on just because it was just that amazing combination of like creativity and insight. You know, mm-hmm. it, was, it was a research-led project that had a creative execution, yeah. which was working with a proper like 
director of photography, like film crew, sound man, you know, like it was it was incredible. Mm-hmm. And the output was just beautiful. Like I'm, it's probably the proudest thing I've done. That's yeah. Awesome. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Was that then just made for the owners of the company? Did they go on? Yeah, take it? so that was that was for a brand for a mm-hmm. client. Yeah, for their like internal um, purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were kind of putting a bit of a face up to kind of youth. Well, not youth, not necessarily youth culture. I'm always a bit like that term youth culture thrown around a lot. Thrown around a lot. I think it was yeah. It was more kind of I saw it as like an exercise in kind of bringing to life the lives of 16-year-olds in London in the mm. most authentic way possible. Mm. Um, so a lot of that was kind of like, rather than us being like, meet us here and we'll shoot you here, it was like, where do you like to hang out? Like, arrange a meet up with your friends and we'll go down and we'll just, we'll chill with you guys. So we ended up in like, skate parks and like, um, yeah, it was, it was amazing. Um, so yeah, again, just at every level, just trying to keep it as real and as authentic to the people that you're trying to kind of um understand and it's not always it's not always young people like last year i did a piece around over 55s and how over 55s feel like they're represented in advertising and not well is it not well at all you know and it's a demographic that's like been really forgotten and yet they hold the most amount of money of any it's generation crazy. it's mm. like they are sitting on an absolute gold mine we, yeah we, we did some um so it wasn't a research project but um it was a basically a correct pitch for essentially setting a brand direction of a brand that targets um, uh, over sixty fives, and yeah, we, we did a similar research and literally, like, it, it was interesting. Like, basically, the one like the, the defining uh, uh, insight we came back with was people don't feel that your brand is right for them because they don't see themselves as old and your brand for old people. Um, and and you know we started talking about how they represented um, and. Uh, and and how they see how they see themselves in the media, and I, it's, it's a forgotten audience, isn't it? Because everyone is, I think a lot of brands get youth wrong, but at least they're thinking about them. Mm. Whereas so many brands just forget about old people, and they think of them as these. It's almost like you hit sixty five, and yeah. suddenly you've come from another planet. Yeah. Um, and, and Whereas yeah. actually, like the behaviours, I think there's something about like how the the biggest rise in solo travel is like women over fifty, single women over fifty five, yeah. globally wow. or something, yeah. something like that. Yeah, we we, we did a bit about it. it wasn't towards old people, but um, yeah, we we, we did a big uh, bit of research last year where we looked into travel trends and and, and hostel told us um, uh, that the biggest bit so like 55% of their bookings now come from uh, women on their own mm. and so that's a yes. massive massive growth area for them um, and yeah the the, the the it was especially like the, the elderly travel market um, is yeah very uh, yeah basically the entire audience just feels like I'd never go on that holiday because yeah. that's for people who are a few years off death and I'm just 65 for God's exactly. sake yeah yeah, I think it's exactly that as well like sort of taking it back to the role of the researcher but I kind of just see it as like it's your responsibility to represent the voice of the audience there's nobody else in that room like mm. when it's like the client meeting or the creatives or you know even the strategists like there's a difference between research and strategy like I've kind of done both roles and I think they kind of they're, they're complementary but they're, they're also very different kinds of roles and in that room the audience isn't there and so you're the closest thing that anybody in that room has to the reality of who these people are. 
Um, and so there is, a, I feel like there is a responsibility to kind of authentically represent. And again, that's kind of, that's the role of the researcher, mm. which again, when you start to think about it like that, it just moves it on from the clipboard image. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah. You're doing a, a hell of a lot more than you might kind of think you are. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. So, mm. um, one thing that I did want to ask, um, going back to this whole thing of like what people think they're going into versus what they're actually going into mm. is um, a question that's kind of phrased for you to like fill out the rest of the sentence. If I knew then what I know now, mm. and by then I mean like throwback to when you were 18, 19, yeah. um, just done freshers, just mm. done all the going out and whatever, and then just realize that you actually have a degree to do. Um, if you knew then what you know now, what would you have done differently, done the same, yeah. told yourself, all of that stuff? It's really interesting, you know, because I was, I was talking about this question with a colleague of mine. And so I was at university 10 years ago. Is that right? What are we? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was in my second year 10 years ago, wow. which is wild. Um, it's stressful when you start coming back. Really it? You're like, no, it was in five, six, nine. When did I become that person? Yeah. Um, I don't have this problem yet, <laughs> just for the yeah, record. No, you were, you were. <laughs> So wild, honestly. Um, but the, the world, even though it was only, t- only 10 years ago, the world was very different, you know? Like, the world was very different. In, I mean, I feel like I sound like I'm 60, yeah. but, like, the, tr- but the truth is... Back like, in my day. Back in my day. <laughs> I, I, do, I do that a lot in this job. Yeah. I, I, I always use... I, you know, you shouldn't use it as a reference point in university, uh, in, in research, but I, I do often end up saying back when I was in university yeah. and I just feel like, I can just feel my back going. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, back yeah. Honestly, yeah. Um, that is what is going on right now. Mm. But I think um, access to technology and access to platforms whereby you could showcase what you're about looked very different back then. And oh, like, yeah. I, I mean, even, like, I grew up in York and in the noughties in York, there was nothing happening creative. There was no real kind of creative community or outlet for young people. You had like maybe BBC Radio York, but that was like so stale. You know, there was no real kind of access to opportunity. So I grew up not really believing that those kinds of jobs or that kind of world was for somebody like me. And that's the feeling that I carried into kind of university, which is probably why I thought I'll go down a more traditional route, journalism, teaching, law. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And then when I was at university, I think... I think it must have just come through the uni, but there was a, a youth marketing agency that was looking for people to be part of like a national panel. Um, and I applied and it was for, the client was BBC Three and they wanted to know what young people thought of various issues relating to them at the time. And I just kind of like gave it a go because I thought, why the hell not? Mm. Um, got onto this panel um, and that really was like the beginning of me starting to understand that like maybe just maybe like this was a world that I could exist in and they used to do these um, kind of workshops at BBC Television Centre and so you'd go up I went to uni down in Brighton but you'd go up for the day and they'd run workshops with programme makers um, and creatives from the BBC and I was just like this is wild like I'm actually sat in the room with these people and again like I'm just this kid from your you know there's a real kind of like exposure to an industry that previously just hadn't been there at all so I guess like I guess what I'm trying to say really is just like there's there's always those opportunities and there's always those doors but you you just have to kind of um, really go out there and find them and I think a huge part of what held me back like your question kind of what do you wish you knew then that you know now I kind of wish that 
I believed that I was more capable than I thought I was. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. back yeah. then, I just didn't really think that I was capable or able to exist in any of those spaces. Whereas actually, and it's interesting, kind of reflecting back on my career sat where I am now it's just sort of like absolutely like it's possible but it's taken me ages to kind of get to that point mm. I think the beauty of where things are now for young people is that you have Instagram you have Twitter um, you have all these platforms whereby you can really showcase what you're about and I think that's that's the really important thing is like you need to be able to communicate and express what you're about and that's what's going to draw attention by which I don't just mean like your ability to like take a nice photo and put a nice filter over it but I mean like what is it what is it that you represent what is it that you're trying to communicate from the point of view of like your view on culture um why would people be interested in your opinion you know what's your unique point of view and I think all of those things you know you see people now starting to kind of build those platforms out for themselves but as soon as you can start to kind of curate that sort of um, those sorts of ideas for yourself, I think the better because then you have more in your arsenal to show people, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can direct them to your blog, you can direct them to your Instagram. It's interesting now. I get a lot of young, young um, like student graphic designers get in touch, and um, and they'll be like, "Hey, could you check out my portfolio? Like, if you could just check out my website," um, and I'll just be like, "Can you just send me a link to your Instagram?" Mm-hmm. And I look at their Instagram and then I'm like, cool, like, are you available? Do you want to just come in for like a couple? You know, we've had people do that. Um, shout out Amy. And they, oh, yes, yes, yeah. Yes. And they've ended up doing like a month's internship with us because they just DM me on Instagram. Mm. Um, the other thing that tends to happen as well with young designers is that they'll send through a portfolio and then I'll meet them and we'll talk through it. And then I'll be like, have you got like a Tumblr or something? Then they show me their Tumblr. And on their Tumblr, they've got album covers that they've designed and like all this other stuff this is what i tell all my designer friends especially one of my friends i always tell him can you put the stuff that you do for fun on your portfolio because it looks better than the client stuff you do because their creative um their creative vision for their own products was whack compared to yours yeah so um, exactly that's a reimagining of like you know, there's an illustrator I saw recently, I think you guys know him, who did some stuff, like, he just sort of reimagined Burberry, like, through his yes. own kind of illustrative style, and it was amazing. And so... Who was that? That was Denzel. Oh, Denzel. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Also, yeah. Denzel. It's just, it's just like, it says so much about who he is, his style, his approach, like, the way that he sees the world. Um, so, yeah, like... I've, I've, I've been there with young designers where it's like actually the work that's on your Tumblr is far more interesting than what you've put in your portfolio but you've put in your portfolio what you think people want to see mm. whereas your Tumblr is telling me so much more about you as a person on what you're about so I think it just comes back to that point of like don't be afraid to sort of put out there the things that really communicate who you are and your mm. ideas you know and so there are so many channels by which you can do that. And I think, yeah, for me, I wish I'd sort of done it earlier. I wish I'd done more of it and been bolder with it as well, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, you mentioned a point in which, like, you found an opportunity in university. Would you say that was a game-changing moment in your career? Massive. Did you have any others? Um, that was a massive game-changing mm. moment because they used to do this thing where once a month... So I think I was on the, on this sort of youth panel, which was, like, young people... Um, from around the UK I think there was like 70 of us on it at any one time and every month they'd give away like uh, a prize or something I can't quite remember but it was for like 
who the the BBC programme makers decided like had produced the best content that month and one month I won it and I remember just thinking like that was a bit of a light bulb moment for me because it was the first time that somebody had ever said to me that something that I produced creatively was good Mm. you know and it was just like a real kind of light bulb moment where you had the endorsement of programme makers at the BBC which for somebody like me just felt like the most far away thing ever kind of growing up where I did but suddenly it was like you're in this space where people are saying actually like your work is good and it was the first time that I'd ever really been told that and it, it was just a moment like that started making me think actually maybe this is an industry that I could find some space in or I could you know it's that kind of recognition from people that um, you you think or you would, you would like to think know what they're talking about mm. um, so that was a game changer in the sense of like validating or giving me a sense of like oh you are actually capable or you have good ideas definitely yeah and there's been lots of other moments that have kind yeah. of that have kind of like um, that have kind of given me that drive and determination for different reasons that haven't always been sort of positive so a lot of the time like I guess I'm someone who tends to I tend to um, I, t- I tend to kind of notice when something is missing or when something could be better and uh, quite often in places that I've worked where I haven't necessarily agreed with the workplace culture, um, I found that really hard. You know, I've worked in some places that have been really tough for me personally, just on the point of view of like the kind of people and the kind of culture that I was working around and having to kind of be exposed to certain things that maybe I wasn't used to in my personal life in terms of just like people's ability to navigate a conversation around race um, ethnicity. Oh yeah, yeah, that one. yeah. So it's it's something that like I've had to, I've had to find my own way of navigating those experiences, and mm. and often that's been through trying to educate, um, which isn't the kind of it, is, it can be quite exhausting. Oh yeah, um, oh, yeah. and it feels like a <laughs> extracurricular activity at work that you shouldn't have to engage in. Extracurricular. Wow. <laughs> extracurricular. I wish there was an examination. <laughs> yeah. That you could just stars, mate. But um, but like those those are the kind of experiences that for me have said or have told me there's a hell of a lot of work to do still, mm. and there's a hell of a lot of change that needs to happen still. And you're not going to bring that if you're not a part of that. You know, you have to kind of be present in that conversation in these spaces to sort of um, do that. So. The kind of negative experiences that I've had have, have really made me more determined in so many ways. Um, again, I think it kind of goes back to like, um, so like I started off teaching and I think when you're a teacher, because you're in that position of responsibility with your students, you're always, you're constantly thinking about what you want to represent. You know, it's entirely up to you to decide what you want to represent. And I think it's a similar idea for me in the kind of the creative industries. It's like, yeah, what do you want to represent? and and what is it that you're here to represent for other people? Okay. Yeah. Okay, that is very interesting. I'm, I'm just thinking which angle to go down because the teaching angle was very interesting to me since it's something um, you did after uni and it's also something which you wouldn't necessarily find yourself in marketing or in um, the creative industry in general mm. right after coming out of the um, teaching stint. Mm. So how did that happen? Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. <laughs> I, um, yeah. So I was lucky enough to, so I think I mentioned before, like I'm half Japanese, I always wanted to go back to Japan. 
um, after I graduated just to spend some more time there um, getting my language back up to scratch um, and obviously with family out there and stuff it's just like I hadn't been back since I was six so it'd been like a thing that was really like mm. always in the back of my mind um, and I was lucky enough to get onto a program like a teaching program so I ended up working in Japan for two years as an English teacher um, in primary and secondary schools um, which was amazing, like it was incredible. Um, I would recommend that experience to anyone. But by the end of the two years, I kind of felt like it wasn't the most creative environment. You know, I kind of realized that actually, like I wanted to be in a more creative environment. And the Japanese school system isn't always the most creative, surprisingly, actually, for me. Like it, the education system kind of, it's, it's a very different, um, I guess, approach to education from the point of view of like, it felt more about how to become a good Japanese citizen. You know, like obviously it's robust and it's academic, but it's also moral. Um, and then within that, the role of creativity, I didn't always, you know, I wasn't always exposed to that, especially in my role. Um, but the element that I did like was working with a class of people, like a, a room full of people and exploring ideas and facilitating conversation and like having discussion and and sort of being in charge of facilitating and more moderating that experience. And it's interesting when I started doing internships in London, um, realising that insight was a sort of role that required someone to facilitate and moderate. You know, we talk about focus groups. It's like, well, you need someone, the moderator, to yeah, sit there yeah. and facilitate that conversation. And I just naturally found that I was quite good at it and like naturally just had an interest in doing that. Um, so yeah, I moved back to, to England after I finished in Japan. My parents were up in York, so I was there for six months, just sat on the sofa like, what am I doing with my life? Because I graduated just after the recession when there were no jobs, and I was really like, it was oh, a, yeah, yeah. That was a fun time, I graduated. Oh, yeah. Like, I felt really lucky that I'd got the job in Japan, because my, my friends that stayed here, I mean, I remember Skyping them when I was living there, and they'd just be like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating, so a bit of tangent, but just last week we were doing, um, sorry, a couple of weeks ago, we were doing some focus groups with students around um, uh, insights towards, uh, so basically their opinion on the, uh, on the world of work, and um, we basically asked them about Brexit, and expecting to be, uh, we went with a hypothesis that, you know, we, we, we knew that the kind of stereotype of the politically, um, political activist student was, you know, overhyped, but we, we still expect them to be, you know, much more um, uh, basically moral than, than, than their um, slightly other counterparts. And Brexit was largely met with a shrug, mm. not for apathy reasons, but there was around a third of the students in the focus groups um, who basically said, yeah, the world's always been shit. Uh, and it, it suddenly struck me that wow. when I graduated during the, it was kind of depressing, mm. but also a little refreshing. Basically, when I graduated during the credit <laughs> crunch, um, I'd grown up uh, in, in, in a world where, where, like, you know, prosperous economy, uh, plenty of jobs, mm. and suddenly I was like, well, this is shit. I'm now graduating uh, right in the worst possible time. But obviously, it wasn't the worst possible time because that's kind of carried on for 10 mm. years and that's all they've known. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like they've had this, like, yeah, it's just like, when we asked them about it, they were saying, um, you know, it's uh, just life. Yeah, uh, just normal yeah. I, I remember graduating that time, and yeah, yeah, it wasn't wonderful. Yeah, well, it was that thing, wasn't it? It's kind of like, we were brought up on that idea of, like, 
you go to school, you get your GCSEs, so you get into college, you do your A levels, so you get into uni, you get your degree, you get a job, mm. and that was all going really well <laughs> until <laughs> I until I got my degree, and it was like oh, okay. And as I say, I was really lucky to have that. You know, I flew out to Japan a week after I graduated, um, so it all happened really quickly. But when I got back two years later, like nothing had really changed. Um, so I was up in York, just sort of like tearing my hair out and just being like, what the hell am I gonna do? And I got back in touch with um, the agency that I was on the youth panel for. And I just sort of, I mean, I was like, when you're kind of starting out like that as well, and you're contacting people on LinkedIn and sending emails, like it's a really nerve wracking thing because you're just like, why on earth would they would they ever get back to yeah. you? Or, you oh, know, yeah. you're really hesitant about it. Being on the other side of that now, it's like, it's so funny to think about. But like, mm. yeah, at the time you're just like, oh, there's no way in hell they'd ever get But But then they did, you know, and like, they were really helpful and shout out to, to Liberty for that because they, they really were, they really facilitated my kind of um, entry into the mm. industry. Um, so yeah, I moved. Back. My, I've got an uncle who lives in London, so I moved down with like a rucksack, and, and <laughs> honestly, it was like clothes and two books, and, um, and two books, and two books. Yeah, and I was like, he had like a little spare like bit of room in his attic, so I was like, like Gollum, just like up in the attic, um, just uh, yeah, just sort of staying there whilst I was doing like um, unpaid internships at like PR agencies mm. and stuff like that um, a few other marketing agencies um, and then like I was on job seekers for a while and you know it's just that thing of like I kind of knew that I had to be here because that's where the opportunities were um, mm. I knew that I wanted to get a foot into the door um, in some kind of marketing creative sort of um, industry related job um, and I was lucky enough to end up doing kind of like a couple of weeks at a PR agency um, which then kind of meant that I had like this experience on my CV right because mm. they always want you to have experience cash flow mm-hmm. right. yeah. um, which is always a bit of a weird one like, that's one thing that we say here is like no industry experience doesn't necessarily mean no experience yeah. and that yes. kind of goes back to what I was saying before like if you have a Tumblr if you just curate stuff on Instagram if you have a blog where you just write your thought, you know, all of this is experience to me, mm. especially in research. It's like, I want to know what your perspective is on the world. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So it's always worth doing, right? Um, I'm much more, personally, I'd be much more inclined to look at somebody's blog than their CV to mm. get an understanding of whether or not I think they're a good fit for, for working with us. Mm. Um, a CV just feels like a formality that is that is kind of not so relevant right now. I don't think yeah. it really tells you about people. It, it's right and wrong. It feels like it's right and wrong on sort of CV, doesn't it? Yeah. Whereas on, on, a, on a blog, uh, on, on your internet, that, that's, that's who you are. The personality which, issue. Which I think like, for graduates, is I'm, I'm so much more interested in that. Um, to be honest, even for me, like you um, you guys are high collective. You found me through, and even um, you at the Elephant Room, mm. you guys all found me through my Twitter. Mm. And through well, I, that I found, kind of... Uh, I, I found you, well, Simon found you through Guest List, mm. uh, which, which, was, which was awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And that is a email chain. But yeah. he replied to me on Twitter, which is very interesting. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So and that's that's how we got in contact. Well, I do think, and, and that's actually what I want to touch on because um, you, you did uh, you did mention earlier about like people DM you on, on Instagram. Mm. Like, what what do you think the form is on on, on that? Like, just um, you know, just students getting in touch out of the blue. Like, yeah. what what is the form to approach somebody on those sort of channels? Uh, personally, I just love it. Like, if if a young person has taken it like upon themselves to find out who you are contact you 
um, and share their work because they just want your opinion on it. I'm, I'm not even a designer. Do you know what I mean? But you're asking me, like, what do you think? And I, I just, I really like that people are bold enough, but also kind of like humble enough mm-hmm. to sort of approach you to do that. It, that's a really like, that's one of the things that I always find is, is a really difficult line to walk. Yeah. Well, well, I don't know, it's not difficult, but often people can get it very, very wrong. That kind of balance between being confident. Yeah. But also humble yeah. and being very very open because yeah. I was just like that, that's me in, in, in a in a, um, in a graduate speaks volumes because if they come in saying like look I'm confident in who I am I'm confident in what I can do yeah. but equally I know it, no one expects you to be a, a, a fully formed yeah. um, uh, employee no one expects something at 30 yeah. like, so yeah it's that, that, that's always also though like often the, more, the most confident people that I've worked with have been the most mediocre and that's you know yeah, what yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the truth say and that one again <laughs> <laughs> repeat I repeat <laughs> the most confident people I've worked with have been the most mediocre but it's well, you know it's it's it's. Uh, I guess what I mean by that like, I don't think confidence is a bad thing you know mm-hmm. we all need confidence um, 100% but I also think that like even if you're like a shit hot I don't know designer creative you're calling yourself a creative director age 21 fine like I don't have an issue with that at all I think the people who have the people who have issues with that are people who have like worked their entire career to get to that yeah. point and that's mm. for them to work out but I don't have a problem with that if you can back it up mm. like if your work kind of speaks to to the kinds of the, the sort of messages that you're putting out but also the other thing I'd say is that like it's one thing to kind of have an output and have a craft that's like amazing but it's also another thing to have like interpersonal skills and good communication skills. And I think that's something that often gets lost is like, or a lot of people kind of forget is that 50%, I'll never forget in my first interview for my internship, the lady that was interviewing me said, to be honest, Will, 50% of this job is knowing how to communicate with people. The other 50% is just like absorbing kind of all of the know-how and the jargon, mm. etc." And it's always stuck with me because I just think like, it was just a really simple, clean way of kind of um, framing what it is that we do in these roles regardless it's all about communication and it's not just about communicating an idea in a pitch or in a debrief or a presentation it's about being able to communicate over email you know it's being able to communicate in the office in a meeting that's that's so true like I I think back like I think back I guess two things but every single person that um well, like on most occasions when somebody I've defined as being bad at their job, mm. once you get down to it, it's not necessarily they're not talented or not knowledgeable or intelligent, but it's often because there's some form of breakdown communication. Mm. So either an overcommitment on yes, I can deliver that, I can do it for nine a.m. tomorrow, or you know, that sort of bad communication towards a cl- uh, towards a client, or bad mm. communicating towards a team so the job can get done right. But I think about myself again, like every time I've been bad at a job and it's happened plenty of times over my career mm. um, it, it's typically been again because I've said like yes of course I can do that yes I can you know leave this with me because I've been mm. trying to do too much and again I guess that's that, there's that balance it takes a certain confidence to say no I can't do that 100%. it takes a certain confidence to say, like, say no of course I can't do that from 9am tomorrow you yeah. absolutely in, like, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah and this is something that you learn do you know what I mean yeah. and I think again that's the thing it's like like I'm 30 and I, I'm learning things very, very recently about myself and how I work that like have taken me the past sort of six, seven years mm. working in this industry to understand. Yeah. So the idea that I could have like launched myself 
into I think you know again it's slightly different now where like a lot of young people a lot of young talent already have their established platforms you know age 21 22 you've already got your thing and I think that's incredible but you also need to understand that you're working kind of within a bigger system whereby a lot of people don't understand that way of thinking Mm -hmm. and so you've got to be able to communicate that you know you've got to be able to bring people into your world and vice versa um, especially if you want to kind of um, scale and kind of expose as many people to who you are and the work that you're doing as well um, so yeah communication is like a, a huge part of it and, and it, that, I, I don't know like even down to like agency processes it's you know it's where everything comes tumbling down if you don't mm. kind of have it um, have it nailed I feel like um, I, I guess um, well, I guess one final question for me Josh I, I, don't, I don't know whether you've got any more burning questions on your list I've got like You've got so I'm I'm gonna ask a quick one. Yeah, go ahead. Um, we've just said that communication is uh, one of the most important things. Or actually, for me, I'd say it's the most important thing across jobs. Yeah. yeah, if you're gonna be a doctor, you probably need to know like where the organs are. But like generally, speaking, <laughs> um, how do you demonstrate that as as an applicant apart from just generally? Um, that there, simply off on Twitter the other day, um, where someone said if I don't reply to an email, mm-hmm. sorry, if someone doesn't follow up on an email after job interview they don't get the job mm. straight up which you know I can't just kind of like get where you're okay. going from but what a ludicrous like you're just a blanket yeah. um, mm. thing so, so but I guess apart from like just communicating on the job interview process is there anything you do to demonstrate that you're capable of doing that is it just how you carry yourself is it like what is it as, as, as an applicant as, as an applicant yeah like yeah. you're an applicant going for a job because yeah. everyone says good communicators don't they yeah they do it's true and, yeah. and it, 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 it it almost feels like you just glance over that now because mm. everyone writes it. Mm-hmm. So what is it, like, is, is there something you can do which impresses? Yeah, I think like I'm always just really interested in what people's kind of unique take on the world is. Mm. And so quite often, if I, a lot of sort of young creatives that I meet, you know, they might have designed, let's say they've designed a, a campaign for Bacardi, let's say, mm. and they've just sort of done that for fun, but they've put a cultural slant on it that's relevant to them and their communities. And I think that, that for me is where things get interesting because it's no longer just your sort of bog standard campaign, but they're sort of infusing that with their own sort of cultural perspective and inheritance. And so that for me is where you are starting to communicate more than just good communication. Mm-hmm. It's sort of infused with other elements of who they are and, and their perspective and their identity that then gives me a sense of who they are. You know, similarly, it's like, especially with kind of research, quite often what we'll ask people to do if they're kind of applying for jobs is like write 500 words on um, a cultural trend that's sort of taken your, mm. take like th- that you've noticed and explain why it's sort of relevant to you. And that's always interesting, you know, because mm. then you get a very clear sense of kind of who these people are and what they're about. Um, and they throw out the most unexpected things sometimes. So that, again, is like, you know, for me, it's just an interesting way of like... Um, Asking people to bring their their perspective on things and not the perspective that they think you want. You know, you should never feel like you have to kind of um, play a character or pretend to be something that you're not. Um, I don't. I just don't think that's necessary anymore. And if there are places that are asking you to do that, then they're probably not worth your time. You'll never be happy there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's as much cool. as yeah, as much as you can kind of put your slant on things I think the better for me anyway it gives me the better sense the best sense of like who who that person is mm. so I think like yeah always think about like what's important to you what matters to you what are the issues that you care about 
um, and then how do you express all of that through your work mm-hmm. awesome okay that is very interesting and me as no honestly like me as a student I'm taking all that advice on board because um, yeah still young out here <laughs> of course you guys are actually still young to be fair I think in, in this world no no, no. I just got the invitation no, no, no. there I, yeah you just got the invitation no but I think wow, there's, there's this like thing in this industry where people think that they can only advance in their careers at like 40 or 50 and that's when people mm. think when uh, a lot of young people think okay I'll, I'll get I'll have this job I'll have this job for five years and then I'll go on and I'll do an, I'll get a little promotion every five years yeah. or every three years and I'll be steady on a oh, company hop and then eventually by the time I'm like 40 with a couple yeah. of kids and I'll be able to like start my own thing or something like that and I think um, we often forget how young we actually are especially with increasing life expectancy oh my God, yeah. going up to like 90 100 in so a few years time. we have so much time and the fact that you've both managed to like start your own ventures at 30 or around 30 yeah. or even before 30 in some cases like is just a testament to how quickly we're all progressing mm. and that's kind of leading me on to my final question which mm. was when did you know that you were ready to actually venture out and start your own thing I mean I ask myself that every day <laughs> still <laughs> like I don't know that I am I don't know that I even know that still I think it's that thing of like I think there's a few things. I think, like, um, I'm somebody who tries to live in the present. So I try and just, like, not overthink, like, whether it's successes or failures. Obviously, I'll reflect on them. But, like, I never kind of sit and go, do you know what? I'm I'm the co-founder of this. Like, I don't really think like that. I kind of just, I'm just a part of it. And that happens to be the title that's attached to my, like, job description. But it's so many other things. So I think I try not to kind of, like, over-inflate my sense of, like, what I'm doing. If other people look at that and go, oh, that's that's cool, or that's exciting, then great, I'm happy to talk about it. But I think for me personally, like I don't, I try not to think about it too much in that way because I find mm. it distracting almost. Um, mm. I was going to say something else. What was your question again? It was, when did you think that you were ready to actually venture out? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think as well. So this is the one thing kind of relates to the previous point is that I feel like at the minute in our culture, we expect things really quickly or we want things to happen really quickly. And I find that a lot with a lot of young talent that I talk to is that there's an expectation that things will kind of happen quite quickly or why aren't things happening as quickly as I thought they would. Mm. And there's a lot of, I think there's a lot to be said for pace. Mm. Like there's a hell of a lot to be said for pace at the very least so that you don't burn out. Do you know what I mean? It's like you're at the start of your career and the world of work is changing. Mm. Like careers are no longer linear. In five years' time, I don't know that I'll be working in advertising. Like, I can say that because I know that there are loads of other things that I want to try. Maybe I'll become a lawyer. No, I'm not going to do that. But like, there's lots of other things that I know that I want to do, right? But I know that so much of the experience that I've gained is transferable to other areas of, of, of you know of, of work that I want to apply my sort of time to. So I guess that's one thing that I'd say. And then the other thing is just around like... Um, I felt like I was ready to do the elephant room because I tried lots of other things and felt like I'd got enough experience to then go, do you know what, and confidently go, things need to be different and I want to do things differently. And it was a bit of an ultimatum to myself because by the time I'd left okay. my old job, I was like, to be honest, I don't think I want to work in this industry anymore. It was actually kind of making me quite disillusioned. And then it kind of happened that a group of people got together and I was a part of it and off the back of that, the elephant room sort of became a thing um, mm. but it was a bit of a kind of last roll of the dice for me just in mm. terms of like 
unless things can be better, this is not something I'm interested in doing. Um, wow. Yeah, like it, it kind of was. I remember I started looking into like I started looking into there's like a teach first equivalent for social work. And so I was looking into that oh, and wow. yeah, and you know, I was really kind of starting to explore like different avenues. I knew that I liked working with young people. I knew that I liked that interaction and I knew that I cared about these issues. So it was like, and they're things that I'd been able to kind of work on. A lot of the clients in my previous role were charity clients, you know, NSBCC, Childline. Mm-hmm. So there was that kind of like crossover to an extent in terms of like knowing that these are issues that I cared about and could apply a bit of kind of my time and thinking to. So yeah i don't know about being ready but i think there are certain things that happen in your career that solidify that you you start to learn what you like and what you don't what you Mm. need and what you don't need the kind of people that you want to be around the kind of people that you don't want to be around Mm. you know and you start to sift and that takes that takes time that takes years and you start to sift through that and you figure out as well like where where your skill sets lie do you know what i mean like i didn't know that i was going to end up kind of running insight projects for these global brands but I knew that I like talking to people and that's where it started you know I knew that I was just quite curious about culture you know and so I wanted a job that kind of allowed me to explore that curiosity as well so you figure out these things over time and it becomes clear and I guess the thing that I'd always say is just like always ask questions like always ask people questions if you're unsure there's no like there is no silly question when it comes to kind of trying to find out about careers and pathways and stuff mm. yeah yeah I, I think I, I totally agree like you do I think that's what I've learned over the last 10 years is that no one's no one's ever really ready uh, it's just you just um, and chances like you always, you always think of people as being these like when I was a student if, you know, if I thought about emailing like say creative director of an agency or something like that I think they're sat behind their desk and being like really confident and powerful and, and now yes. it's like in, in reality like, every person I've met Sure, a lot of people have confidence, like project outwardly, but most people, if you say to them, are they ready? Are, are you ready for this big thing, 100%? If they say yes, they're lying. Like, yeah. everyone knows that. Mm-hmm. That's what I've learned in the last 10 years. Um, you know, well, look, that I, th- is it. I think that is a, that is, that basically, is. no one knows what they're doing. And on that note, <laughs> we are going to have a Sweet. Um, well, uh, Will, thank you ever so much uh, for being on the podcast today. Um quickly before um before we wrap up where can people find you oh uh, yes thanks josh um people can <laughs> find me people best place to find me is probably on twitter at will degree which is w-i-l-l-d-e-g-r-o-o-t um lovely so yeah that's probably the best place and then i'm always more than happy to like um kind of exchange stuff over email linkedin as well will um so yeah more than happy to kind of chat to anyone um, who wants to find out more or has any kind of questions or if you want to be put in touch with someone who does X, Y and Z um, again, can sort of try my best to do that so, um, yeah Awesome, we'll, we'll make sure we pop your handle in, mm-hmm. um, in, the, in the post as we, as we send this out um, and likewise we'll get folks like Denzel and people like that who we mentioned we'll yeah, sure we'll we'll so so we mentioned find them yeah. um, Denzel is an awesome illustrator uh, yeah, so we'll make sure we, uh, we, we send some links through um, and yeah, I guess for students, yeah, do feel free to get in touch if you've got any questions uh, for any of us. Um, I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of Josh here, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're going to Definitely, definitely. And yes, yeah, so if you've got any questions about anything you heard today or anything about your careers, do get in touch. Um, likewise, we do run a mentoring scheme. If you're interested in hearing more about that, um, do drop us a message again. We'll pop, um, we'll pop like a little contact on the, um, on the post. 
uh, and and finally we do um, uh, we do run a lot of uh, kind of schemes and, and um, research groups and, and brand ambassador um, programs. Uh, maybe not exactly like the one we were talking about earlier, but um, a similar sort of thing. So if you ever are interested in hearing a little bit more about um, those opportunities, do drop us a message. Uh, for that, that has been our first podcast. By the yes. way, this is our first recording, yeah. and I, I, I believe it went rather well. I think it did. I like the conversation. Yeah, I had a good time. Well, I feel like it's the tip of the iceberg, though, isn't it? It's one of those things where you could just keep going and going. Yeah. Mm. yeah. At one point, I glanced the clock and I thought we were 15 minutes in, and it's 45 minutes in. Oh, yeah, we need to wrap this up. Yeah, no, um, no, 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 no. But talking about the other wrap up right there. Okay. Yeah.